This is another bottle down on Co-op Radio, KOOP Hornsby, Austin, 91.7 FM, and KOOP.org. I'm your host, Mark Rayshap, here to appreciate wines from all over the world and to talk with Austin's leading wine professionals, from winemaker to sommelier and everyone in between. Now it's time to put another bottle down. Good afternoon, Austin. Thank you so much for tuning in. It's been a pleasure to be here talking about wine every Tuesday from 1 to 2. I've had a really good time highlighting so many wine professionals, winemakers, all sorts of folks who have come and passed through Austin, uh, and a lot of our sommeliers and local wine personalities who we um, really trust to make our choices in the wine world and then transfer them to the public. Uh, but I feel like we've I've, I've skirted around something that I tru- believe to be truly important in the wine industry, and uh, what I hope that the the ultimate soul of this show is about, um, which is to use wine as a soundboard to talk about some of the more important and greater human experiences uh, in life and and uh, our community and how they relate to what is like what 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 it's like to be alive, and uh, so I've brought live into the studio Murph Wilcott, who is owner and bread baker and uh, personality of Texas French Bread, which is on uh, 29th Street, and we're going to less talk about what the 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 um, the experience of of owning a restaurant, although we're going to weave some of the concepts of owning a restaurant and making choices and wine choices and food choices. Um, but but I think that Murph really, really grasps this this concept of um, wine as something greater. And uh, Murph, thank you so much for being on the show. Hi, Mark. Uh, uh, thank you for having me on again. It was uh, it was fun last time we did it. And uh, yeah. can you hear me? Yeah, great. Okay, cool. <laughs> uh, um, well, I'd li- I'd like to start off. Um, I'd like to start off just uh, reading a little excerpt of one of my favorite wine personalities. Who is uh, his name is Jacques Lardier, and he has recently retired. He used to be a head winemaker of Louis Jadot in Burgundy, and. Um, has over 40 years experience making wine in Burgundy. And I think that uh, what he says in this um, in this interview from 2012, uh, and it was documented on the Waka Waka Wine Reviews website, but uh, so, so the quote goes like this. For, for him, the process of allowing the wine to transform itself uh, reveals to us, Lardier says, important aspects of our own mortality and potential. We are almost entirely minerals. When I pass away, he says, I will be only minerals, laughing, oh, and a few other small things. It is important to remember that. The winemaking, it is a process of transmutation, and it could also be a process of transfiguration. When you allow it the time to find its freedom and full expression. And uh, so this concept of, of wine transforming itself, wine transforming us, uh, I feel the same thing happens with food. So, so let's start almost where uh, where it all begins with the earth, right? And and um, you know, I'd I'd like to have 
you know, you say a few words about about that, about, um, you know, as a restaurateur and uh, as somebody who makes artisanal products, i.e. bread, you know, that quest for you to go back to the earth, how important is that? Well, I, I think it's super important. And, you know, I mean, obviously the thing that you point to is uh, sourcing. Um, you know, I think... Um, you know, a number of years ago, when I read uh, Anthony Bourdain's uh, sort of breakout book, uh, Kitchen Confidential, uh, you know, there were a handful of things that stuck with me from that book. But one of them is that I believe it's right in the first chapter. He talks about uh, the uh, owner of uh, Leal, uh, the restaurant where he was the chef, uh, taking him to the Union Square Farmer's Market. Yeah. Uh, and the two of them shopping together. And... Um, the you know the sort of uh, um, cap off of that chapter is be sure and go get the good stuff. Yeah, you cannot um, uh, create um, uh, you know you can't create gold out of base metal unless you're starting with some <laughs> some pretty good base metal. Right. Um, you know the other thing that really strikes me about that quote uh, is the concept of transmutation, uh, which uh, that's straight out of the Alchemist playbook. And, right, uh, right. and when we when we talked about uh, some of the overlap between uh, the process of fermentation and um, you know where the overlaps were that we wanted to talk about today between food and bread and wine. Uh, you know, fermentation was was this sort of metaphor for uh, the the alchemy that uh, of transformation that that takes place and transmutation. I believe, if I'm remembering this correct, was one of the specific stages that happened with the base metals, where you know, on the on the way to them uh, turning into gold. But, right, uh, right. Well, I mean, it, you know, that link is is really incredible, and and wine has been such a an important. Uh, peace th- with alchemists uh, throughout the ages. And even you have uh, Louis Pasteur, um, you know, he was saying that uh, there's there's almost more science in a in a glass of wine than there is in uh, you know in in the world that he was was studying. So um, I mean that complexity I think is 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 really evident when I smell and I think about wine. Um, how you know when you when we talk about kind of getting getting down to those bare ingredients um, in the wine industry we we. I think that the wine industry is kind of the epitome of that because we talk endlessly about um, the plot that the that the that the the grapes come from. With food, it's it's maybe a little bit more tricky. Do you think? I mean, it's food is something that we have to eat every day, and yet um, maybe because it's so omnipresent, there, there's a lot of misconceptions and a lot of things that are done in order to just push certain kinds of food and, and, and things that might not provide you with pure energy, right? Well, when we think about what's really important with food, um, it's very similar to the winemaking process. Yeah. Um, and what's, what's really important to me would be a quality that I might call, uh, soulfulness. Um, you know, and that would embody things like, uh, authenticity. Um, I, um, I, you know, 
where you start with that in terms of the overlap between you know grapes versus um, you know uh, you can't make a good meal if you don't start with uh, you know beautiful produce right. for instance. Um, so what does that quest for you look like on a on a day to day basis? You and your chef, um, as as far as the restaurant goes, Texas French bread. Well, I like to think of it as a lot of love has to go into every step of this. You know, we are trying to, at my restaurant, uh, buy from, you know, what we like to think of as uh, as sustainable producers uh, and as, you know, as often as we can, uh, um, you know, uh, people who are, uh, you know, growing food locally, that's certainly uh, a big plus too. But but we're, what we're really looking for is, is people have passion about right. what they do. I mean, honestly, uh, Mark, I feel like there can be as much passion in a hot dog that you might buy at the ballpark as, you know, I, I, I'm never going to name any names, but, I, you know, I've been to fine dining restaurants where I thought, um, you know, there's about as much love in this meal that I was just served as something I might have bought uh, at the airport in Phoenix. Right. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, certainly starting with uh, with the quality ingredients uh, is really helpful, but right. there's a process. And, you know, I think that that process is similar for winemakers. Yeah. And it's about the the passion that they bring to it, the attention to detail, and and really the, the love that uh, that that goes in, you know. I mean, a lot of people, uh, you know, who who haven't looked at this don't know it. But you know, Isaac Newton, uh, Sir Isaac Newton, from whom uh, we learned most of our uh, basic <laughs> model of physics, sure. uh, was also an alchemist. Yeah. Uh, in other words, um, he. Uh, he was a he was a strict uh, scientist in the great Western tradition, but he was also someone who was uh, looking at the spiritual side of, um, you know, what what made those formulas that he was working on work. Right. Uh, you know what uh, he he was asking the larger questions about. Uh, okay, um, you know, uh, we we know that matter does this when you observe it, but why is that important? Yeah. Um, um, you know, what what's our purpose here on the planet as a human being? Well, well, that concept of which really intrigues me about wine and and food to a certain extent, um, and certainly this this very magical process of fermentation is that balance between chaos and um a sort of randomness and a control and um and and we were kind of talking about uh just before the show of for the past you know however many thousands of years it's it's you know it's been control control can we learn more control you know and and um and that's a very delicate, delicate thing uh, to to maneuver. And 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 when you look at fermentations of bread and wine, you know, the, it, sometimes yeah. staying out of the way is as important uh, as uh, exerting control. When when we look at the natural winemakers uh, that uh, that we list in our restaurant, for instance, right, right. one of the phrases that comes up a lot is the is the the notion of limited intervention. Right. Um, and by that, in the winemaking world, typically we're talking about uh, limiting how much sulfur is used to stabilize the grapes, of uh, avoding uh, inoculating with commercially grown yeasts, um, 
In other words, it's a it's a it's an additional step towards uh, finding the terroir of uh, of that particular uh, varietal or that you know particular patch of ground, and um, you know so the 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 concept of how much intervention is the right of a, amount of intervention is a good one. I which you know I mean the other thing we were talking about before we rolled in here. Um, is this uh, apocryphal, uh, possibly urban legend story that I love about Alice Waters, who yeah, started Chez Panisse. And um, according to the urban myth, uh, Alice Waters was talking with uh, one of the snootier of the you know high-end French chefs at the time when she was getting started. I don't I can't remember if it was Bocuse or who it was, but supposedly uh, she described... Uh, the idea that she had for trying to source these really pristine vegetables in season and use those as the guidelines for where the menu would go and and to you know to really have a sort of humble approach to uh, this is what's growing this is what's um, you know this is what's the freshest and the best right now uh, and supposedly the chef's response was well you know that is not cooking that is a shopping list. <laughs> Um, in other words, he was coming from a school that was, um, you know, that was that was much more along the lines of, you know, this kind of patriarchal great man theory. The chef is there to bring the food to heal. The chef is there to to make the the you know, it, right? The chef is God figure, right? To to a certain extent, uh, exactly. Yeah. And I, I think that uh, you know, the it, it's it's not a surprise that. This sort of natural winemaking movement, uh, you know, Chez Panisse and, you know, Alice Waters, uh, you know, Zuni Cafe, which is another sort of spirit animal restaurant for me, that these approaches to food and to wine uh, emerged from sort of the shadow of the, the, the cultural revolution that we had in the 60s, where people began to think about, oh, how do I, how do I, uh, you know, adopt a, a little more uh, receptivity so that instead of just trying to be impactful on my environment all the time, uh, I am actually listening to it and thinking about how I can operate in in harmony right. with it. And for me, for you know the 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 best of the the natural winemakers, the food that I like to eat. Uh, the bakers whose bread I enjoy the most, um, they're making an effort uh, not to, you know, if you, you know, it's great. You've got a fresh uh, batch of, uh, you know, a bunch of carrots that yeah. come to you. And they're they're very tasty if you just snack on them just the way they are. Right. Um, and it's not that it would be bad to, uh, you know, cook them rather substantially and deglaze them in a pan with a you know a beef demi glaze and right. you know wine and all those things that you know the traditional master sauces that the french chefs made but i do think there's a there's a step uh in between where you're looking to sort of bring out and magnify what the the natural sweetness and balance that that carrot might uh, offer right. that wouldn't be there if you didn't cook it at all if you if you don't ferment your grapes you have grapes you don't have wine right so, so there 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 is by default by definition 
a an intervention that has to happen and uh, 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 to some extent or else exactly. you, or, or else you have just grapes and and that in my early career was pretty hard for me to reconcile so um you know it was it was a little hard for me to reconcile the fact that um oh these non-interventionalists that well you, you you have to do something and and um but but i i think that the more that i've tasted the world of wine uh it's so clear when when there is so many more layers and makeup that is put on the wine uh and and you're you're really trying to make uh, the wine something more than what the potentials of the grape are are actually uh, inherent in the grape. And I think that that's a, a really important point that when you start out with mediocre fruit and you try to make a, a, great, a great, great uh, wine that, that um, in, truly inspires, I think that that's, that's a flaw. Can't, it can't be done. It can't be done, yeah. Uh, you you have to start with uh, you know with sources uh, for your food for your wine for your bread for right. that matter that um, you know th- that are quite good for yeah. lack of a, a better description um, you know otherwise there's no you know there's nowhere to go from there right can we talk a little bit about your quest for um, in in sourcing flour for for the bread that you use at Texas French bread. Sure. Um, you know, it's, it's been very interesting. I, um, I, I have, uh, there's one specific bread that I, uh, make and, um, the, my staff is jokingly called it the Murph bread. My <laughs> chef Kenny, who joined us recently, uh, likes to refer to it as pan du Murph. But, um, <laughs> anyway, um, I was, uh, you know, I mean, this is, this is, crazy long story, but, uh, how I got here. But, um, I like uh, a lot of people, um, you know, in the modern age that we live in, uh, as I hit middle age, I, I started to develop some real grain sensitivity yeah. and I began to, you know, wonder if it was gluten that was bothering me. And, um, you know, I, I, I took a long hiatus from, uh, from eating bread, uh, at all. Um, anyway, and then a couple of years ago, uh, when, uh, my friend Stephen Dilly opened Bufalina with, you know, was, uh, over there and he was using this Italian double zero flour that's very sort of low impact, uh, right. and, um, you know, organically grown. And, uh, and I noticed that, well, you know, don't really have a response to that at all. Yeah, so it's fine. Yeah. Uh, he and I got together, uh, and we began, uh, sort of doing these buys on, um, flour from a, uh, a cooperative mill in Utah called central milling that, um, sources their, uh, grains from a variety of small organic local farmers in the Midwest. Right. And uh, if I understand this correctly, it is where uh, Chad Robertson from the Tartine Bakery in San Francisco gets uh, virtually all of his flour. So uh, over the last uh, year or so, I went back to my roots in the company, which, you know, my first job at Texas French Bread was uh, being a bread baker. And uh, it's kind of, you know, one of the long list of things that I've learned from my mother. But um, I... um, I began using this uh, fully organic flour, which is, you know, there's some there's some interesting qualities that it has. It's a little less predictable. Right. It doesn't 
do quite the same things that the commercial white bleached enriched flowers do. So maybe the the sourdough might take a little bit of lo- longer to to leaven, right. and the, I mean, well, it just... I, I, right away, one of the first things that I did was I said, you know what, we're going to start feeding our starter with this uh, with these flowers exclusively, okay, uh, and because. I really think that the uh, the biological base that's there um, has has just more life in it that is available to uh, create interesting flowers within the culture that we work with. Now, right. you know, I, I probably should back up because you know a lot of people don't really understand how uh, a sourdough culture yeah, sure. works. But uh, essentially, the difference between using commercial yeast and making bread with a sourdough culture, and you can use both. But a sourdough culture is a, um, essentially it's a flour soup uh, that soaks up uh, wild yeasts and bacterias uh, in the environment that is around it. And those wild cultures feed on uh, the uh, proteins and the carbohydrates that are in the flour that you feed them. Right. You can start one with, for instance, wine grapes uh, or beer. Uh, yeah. Or you can start one by just taking flour and letting it sit until it molds and ferments. Right. Um, my, I, I don't remember exactly how we started our starter originally at Texas French Bread, but it's been around for years. There's this giant bucket of it in the walk-in, and it's it's crazy because you go in there, and uh, you know it's really interesting. When I first got the organic flour in, I tried to uh, make a small batch, like a home-sized batch of starter, right. uh, using just organic flour. And like one of the things I noticed right away is, oh, the huge volume that we have in the 50-gallon drum that I have of starter is much more lively. It's bubbling and it's, you know, it's crazy. It's like a, it's like the blob, you know, you go in there and it's just like, it's, it's got all this life to it that you can smell and see and feel. And, um, you know, it's, it's it's fascinating the the differences in the bread that you get with a long rise, uh, long fermentation sourdough. Uh, you know, especially when you do it with these uh, flours that haven't had all the life sort of uh, processed out of them. Right. And you know, when you touch the bread dough, it it talks back to you in a different way. That's not to say that breads, you know, we make a number of great breads with commercial yeast. Sure. Um, I uh, have uh, on occasion had a, a, a big 16% uh, Napa Valley Cabernet that I thought, wow, that's really good. Yeah, yeah. It's a specific thing. So let, let's let's make the correlation with, with the world of wine sure. uh, from, from that, that bread story. Um, I feel like you know, so many folks out there, they'll talk about Sangiovese, Chianti, something, you know, Chianti, which is made from the grape Sangiovese. And, you know, the conversation kind of stops there. Um, l- meanwhile, there are so many different clones of Sangiovese right. within maybe even a same vineyard. And and so that diversity of clonal, the clonal diversity um, is is essential to the life of that vineyard. And, and, and likewise, I think we didn't talk about the the heirloom strains of 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 wheat that I'm sure that right. they're, they're using, right? And that that really 
is the next wave are, uh, you know, ancient grains and sprouted grains. And, you know, I've read that even if you're just talking about wheat, uh, when, when the country was founded, and even back at the turn of the century, people talked about these vast color strains and differences of wheat, depending on what, where you were and what, you know, it, it, there, I mean, there were hundreds of different uh, varietals right. of stuff stuff that wasn't even right it just was it was wheat right. and um you know purple and it, wheat and, and it varied depending right. on where you were in the country Flavors or were you different know, you know you know and and you know clearly what happened and again i it's uh i i don't you know want to stand in judgment there are so many ways in which we all benefit from living in the modern world we sure. need to feed more people uh, we have a profit motive. We, you know, we live in a in a capitalist world. Uh, we wanted flowers that were, uh, you know, consistent and could be counted on to, to behave right. in specific that predictability. ways. Predict- be harvested on a schedule. We needed them to to act like a a, a, a widget in a factory, right. so that we could make lots of them and feed lots of people. Right. That in and of itself is not a bad thing. Right. Absolutely. Um, but However, now, but now, in our quest now for for true uniqueness of flavor and quality, um, we need to we need to go to go back to the diversity the the diversity well, from that we've the earth also gives us. learned uh, that uh, you know monocultures uh, right. to take Michael Pollan's phrase uh, are a pretty scary thing. Uh, the reason for the Irish potato famine uh, was. Right. Uh, because they were using one variety of potatoes. Right. And when that potato got a blight, there was nothing to eat. Right. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I mean, it's, um, uh, you know, the, I, we could go down a long, deep, dark hole about factory farming and what the problems there are. But, uh, again, that, that's not really the, the, the goal here. I think that... Um, I know it, it sort of points us in, in the direction of one of the themes that I'm really interested in, which is um, what are sort of the, the, you know, I mean, the politics of, you know, uh, I'm jumping the gun, but foodie, <laughs> foodie has become a, a, a bad word, right. you know, and, um, and there are lots of reasons to think that, um, you know, that, uh, you know, producing more food at, uh, lower costs is good, right. um, you know, and I think you can take the same thing and apply it to wine um, in, in some ways. Absolutely, I, I want to hold off on sure. that that for the second half of the show and and that debate yeah. of foodie for the second half of the show. I want to continue on though uh, that path of um, diversity and randomness versus predictability in in wine, and and so. Um, because you know so much in the in the new world or modern winemaking we have a yeast that you inoculate that will bring the wine to ferment it will ferment the wine to dryness which is what every winemaker you know their number one goal is to get the wine dry because if there's any sweetness left over then spoilage bacteria get to it so that's kind of like you know modern winemakers they're like we want to get the wine dry predictably dry and without off flavors. And then when you when you talk about this, um, you know, wild fermentations, when you talk about um, folks who just, uh, you know, crush the grapes and, and leave them in their cellars, their fermentations last so much longer. 
and they might not, they probably, hopefully will get totally dry. I mean, those wines can spoil as well. And, and unfortunately, we do have some wines in this movement that, that, that they, they do it and, it and it doesn't work out, you know, for some reason. But those long fermentations produce a degree of flavor that you don't find elsewhere. And, and that's one of the things when I talk with winemakers who, who push the bar on their quality and and the search and the quest for unique flavors, uh, it's that element of surprise that it's like, wow. I mean, I, I'm sure a lot of folks have experienced this. It's like, I've never tasted that flavor in a wine before. And and for wine professionals who taste a, a ton of wine every day, it's like, you know, you almost yearn for that new experience. And and that sometimes can, uh, can only be achieved. I don't want to say only be achieved, but, you know, through these um, uh, wild biological um, random situations that are actually not random because they've been happening in the same cellar maybe for hundreds of years, right? I mean, do you, that's kind of what you see on, I, you know, um, I, I think I may have mentioned this to you, but, uh, what you're making me think of is, um, the, uh, Peter Wasserman paid a visit to us, uh, with, uh, some and, of the Wasserman, uh, portfolio that he allowed us to taste. Right. So Peter Wasserman, son of Becky Wasserman, who has an amazing burgundy and champagne portfolio. And, uh, Peter Wasserman apparently is, uh, is close friends with Alice Firing, who's, uh, a, a major proponent of, uh, of natural wines and does a lot of writing about that, if I understand this correctly. And... Yeah, yeah. And it was interesting to me because I uh, raised the issue of, well, you know, I mean, one of the questions that I always ask is, you know, how, how much intervention with this wine? Is it inoculated? Is it, you know, right. are they using a lot of sulfur? Is it biodynamic agriculture? And when I brought these issues up with, with Peter, he went on kind of a small tirade about, uh, you know, uh, Alice and uh, you know you know you can't make good wine without sulfur and you know and uh, he I mean he well, was arguing the, the minutiae but it was this is a very felt. very heated debate I right. mean within the wine community and I know it may, for folks who are just you know um, enjoy a glass of wine from time to time it, it might seem like it's a, a an, an odd debate but but people get very very passionate about it because um, I feel like with anything with passion on one side then you're going to have as an equal amount of passion that might lash back because either they, f and I don't want to say that this is in Peter's case because I mean, he is such a knowledgeable, uh, entity in the wine right, business. And he brought us amazing wines. Yeah. And so, so this is not, but I, I feel like some, you know, winemakers might fear, uh, some of these, some of these, um, you know, kind of untraditional or, or more traditional, uh, techniques and, uh, and it's also easy for us to say in the booth here, we're not where we're not making right. our living off of gambling, off of uh, you know n n natural yeasts. Well, I mean. and you make a, a really good point, Mark, which is um, you know we we live in a world where you know failure is such a bad word, and you know and, to, and if you fail with uh, with a, a particular. Uh, batch of wine that could be the end of your career yeah. as a winemaker you might have to sell your wine sure i mean yeah. that that could be it it could be over we don't um we haven't really crafted a world where people uh have as much freedom i think as they might to go out and and try things but 
you know, I also think it's the case that, um, you know, a little bit of fear and a little bit of trepidation about, um, you know, about your uh, creative process, right. uh, you know, that uh, requirement that you have some faith uh, to, when you go out on a limb with something right. is, I think it's healthy. And again, whether we're talking about wine, uh, bread, food, you know, music, wh- right. whatever. Um, There's just so much riding on it in the wine in the wine business. I mean, you could throw out a batch of beer, and it's it's not it's, it's not, not nearly much. as big a deal. I mean, this is but a whole this is your whole right. year's worth of of crop. But then again, then about. then it's then it's then it's um, for folks who do go out on a limb and, and try untraditional uh, techniques. I mean, those are the folks who are, are really remembered, right? <laughs> right, and you know, and I love what you said about uh, about being surprised. You know, yeah. I mean, I, it is one of the things that I really look for. Especially, you know, when I was younger, it's like, yeah, man, I want to, I want to, you know, eat, you know, the vanilla ice cream every day. Right. You yeah, know, I mean, right. it's predictable. For, for it's really me, good. yeah, it was, it was pasta Actually, I still and like butter. vanilla ice cream. <laughs> right. <but>. For the <laughs> record. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, uh, I don't eat it very often, but, uh, but if I had to choose, that would, that yeah. would be my favorite flavor. The, well, there you um, have purity. Right, you know, there, there, there's, there's. You're not looking for a sense of surprise. You're looking for a sense of almost the pure flavor. Uh, but I, one of the things that I think um, is is worth uh, searching for right. is uh, what what flavors, what kinds of experiences in yes. life um, do uh, allow us to grow, make us bigger. You can't if you're unwilling to open yourself to surprise and experience and take uh risks that those surprises could be negative right you you're just gonna drive down the same rutted lane every day and And, your life's not going to change and going back to to this show i mean it's like we can apply that to any walk of life right to anything that you do in life and and so you won't expand your palate or learn more about wine if you decide you know what i really love pinot grigio and that's what i'm gonna drink um if you're you know i mean and that's fine if you're not if wine is not something that you're really interested in sort of developing uh a capacity around right but um Anyway, yeah, um, um, I'm here with Murph Wilcott, who is owner, uh, bread baker, and um, and and uh, wild craftsman of Texas French bread. Uh, my name is Mark Rayshap. This is another bottle down on Co-op Radio. We have to take a break. Uh, we have so much more to discuss in terms of surprise and and flavors and development of flavors and debates in the restaurant industry. But we're going to hear from some underwriters of Co-op Radio. We'll be right back uh, with Murph Wilcott. Did you know that Co-op's legal ID, K-O-O-P, Hornsby Austin, refers to our FCC city of license? Hornsby, also called Hornsby Bend, was named for the 1830 settler Reuben Hornsby and is located nine miles east of Austin in eastern Travis County. Officially, this means we're required to serve the fine citizens of Hornsby by covering them with adequate signal strength. But Hornsby has long since been incorporated into the city of Austin and lives on historically in our city of license. Support for Co-op comes from J&J Spirits on East 11th Street. Family-owned since 1968, J&J offers hand-selected artisanal wines, local beers, and boutique whiskeys and spirits, all with a neighborhood vibe. Open 11 to 9 and offering delivery. For more information, visit jnjspirits.com. 
Okay, thank you so much for tuning in. We're back in the studio here. My name is Mark Rayshap. This is Another Bottle Down. It's uh, the show on Co-op Radio where we take an hour every every week and talk about wine and, and meet personalities in, in the wine industry and, and folks who uh, I'd like to highlight who are doing interesting things in the restaurant scene in Austin. Um, and today we have uh, Murph Wilcott, who is owner of Texas French Bread. Um, he's done a lot of work with uh, fermentations of breads and, um, and, has, and, and we have really enjoyed expounding upon that experience of fermentation as transformation and uh, how it applies to wine. And he, he has at, at the restaurant, Texas French Bread, a, a, uh, a list of predominantly producers who do uh, who pertain to the natural wine movement, who have limited intervention. And as we were talking in the first half, that's a very debatable topic right now. Um, but I want to I want to go more on that that idea of surprise, because um, it's something that that several times for me, it's like I'll sit down with a glass of wine and, you know, I might say at first glance or at first sniff, like, Oh, this is weird. I don't like it, you know. And then, and then I'll come back to it and I'll be like, "Oh, this is weird. I'm not sure if I like it." <laughs> right. And and then you know, and then I'll go back and I'm like, "Oh, this is weird. I think I'll kind of like it." And then that's the wine I stick with for the rest of the night. <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, I mean, I think what you're describing is the journey that so many of us have had uh, to uh, coming into an appreciation of wine generally. Right. Um, you know, uh, many of the characteristics of the you know finest and most expensive uh, wines in the you know that I've ever had uh, would be things that. Um, you know, that, that I would not have appreciated, uh, when I began drinking wine right, years right. ago. Yeah. And, and that's that evolution. I mean, a lot of folks and, and don't, I, and I always tell folks, don't try to pertain to any evolution. I mean, when you go to, um, a wine shop and say, Hey, I'm a new wine drinker, they might direct you in a certain way. And, you know, uh, allow, I think that to happen organically. I mean, you know, oftentimes people start off with sweeter wines and, 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 I didn't do that. I started off with big, bold, right. massive wines, and then I evolved from there in different ways. And so I was terrified of sweet wines. It's you know, it's only in the last year or two that I've realized, oh, you know what? A little bit of residual sugar is kind of cool. Yeah, it's, I mean, you know, especially with especially German wines balanced, and, and, you know? and I mean, balance too. If you've got enough acidity there uh, to balance out that that you know right. whatever that is that didn't get fully you know fermented, right. it's it's a really cool thing. So how can that exploration go? So we talked about, uh, you know, fermentation and some untraditional or, or maybe in today's world, more traditional uh, winemaking techniques, but it can also happen with grape varieties. I mean, you know, so often we, we think of, you know, there only being five, 10 grape varieties. And, right. and that's, that, that is so farther from the truth. Um, you know, on a recent trip to Spain, I was, I was digging into some regions that, um, that had very unknown grape varieties and they were proud of them. And the flavors that you get from, you know, Mencia, which is a red grape from Spain or Godeo, which is a white grape are, are unlike anything that you've ever had before. And well, and, and I mean, let's be clear, we can go back to the 
idea of the monoculture, right. but yes. uh, nature doesn't respect those boundary lines uh, between Pinot and Gamay. You know, I mean, right. uh, sure, we can intervene and hybridize uh, at that level in a very conscious uh, and overt way, but uh, those uh, crossing strains uh, will happen naturally, whether right. we like it or not, just because they coexist somewhere near each other. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's so right right i mean it's 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 and and we're going to kind of get into this in in the last segment of of you know what is our place in the whole in the whole world of world of things but right. um let's we, we we do need to kind of jump into this uh debate unless you want to unless you want to read something uh um we i do want to jump into this debate of uh, this whole foodie debate or farm to table movement, because, sure. you know, because this is such an interesting thing that, um, your restaurant is, you know, pretty much a, a, a farm to table restaurant. I mean, you know, you send your chef to the market and, and, right. and, and you often, you know, you, you try to highlight these pure flavors. I think I had like a, a radish, a raw radish, uh, just with some right, a butter. French, French breakfast radish. It probably came from Boggy Creek. Um, oh my goodness! A little little organic butter, a little sea salt. Um, yeah. it, it, that's a super traditional French bistro dish. We just right. happen to do it with nice ingredients and try our best to sort of get out of the way. Right, and and so, but that that purity of flavor and 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 nuance too. When you have something that's kind of so simple. Um, you know, there, there. It opens you up to kind of pondering about the the beauty and complexity of simplicity. I mean, so you know that that uh, the beauty of simplicity and 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 nuance too. So, well, yeah. I think that uh, you know the the place that I sort of see you headed with this is is uh, it's a thing that I think about a lot, which yeah. is, uh, you know. By building careers in particular and having this sort of level of a kind of connoisseur's interest in food and wine and, you know, bread and whatever, uh, you know, we we really run the risk of fetishizing yes. this stuff. And um, I, I believe I uh, told you a story about a, a friend of mine who went to an outdoor dinner party in France and bought a, brought a couple of fairly, you know, Chateau Neuf and something, something else with him thinking that uh, like he would do pompous wines yeah well as he would have done at an American dinner party and he he would have said hey you know check this out who wants to try this whatever and the response was very much sort of well well okay you know sure Uh, and you know what he walked away from it with was wow the the French have this very sort of democratic notion of you know things the wine should be good the food should be good should be traditional shouldn't draw attention to itself you know it and and you know and I get that and I mean there's a whole piece of uh, sort of the you know the the political backlash that's out there that is you know that would group you know, my, uh, uh, approach to food as this elitist, you know, uh, liberal, you know, we, we don't want to use pesticides and, you know, um, and that's a, you know, that's like the, the last 
place in the world that I want to be right, is, right. uh, is to have somehow taken up a, a, a polarity, uh, right. you know, in a debate that was about something I, you know, I mean, so I, where did we get there? How, how did we get there? I mean, how did we get, um, I, I do think that, you know, the, the essence of the word foodie or farm to table is, is really, is, 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 is a great thing. And it's, it's almost gotten to the point where it's, it's a negative term. Well, it, it, it's, I think it certainly can be a negative term yeah. uh, in the sense that, I, I don't know, the principle that we try to operate from, and I can only speak for my business and the community that I try to cultivate, right. but, um, you know, we need to be bringing more people into, uh, a, a, you know, a, a, a simplicity, a humility, uh, a, um, you know, a, a an appreciation of uh, this is only about us coming together over, over a table and making friends. And if it doesn't contribute to that, and especially if it detracts from that, then it is, um, it's gone off in a direction that, uh, is antithetical to what, in my view, the entire point is of trying to eat and drink well. Right. You might be, um, it might be hard for you to separate yourself from this question that I'm about to ask, but I think it's kind of interesting because, um, I, you know, I see almost this restaurateur, uh, uh, you know, the owner of a restaurant, this position as being like one of pure joy, you know, like the, the gentleman or, 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 you know, whoever owns the place strolling around the, the room, like, you know, that, uh, that is the way that every, yeah. everyone who works for me thinks uh, right. that I, in my life is, right. I, no, but what, what I'm I would argue is, at least it's not quite like that, but no, no, but, but th- this, this goal of yours to highlight this, um, you know, the food that you serve being simple, pure, and, and et cetera, um, you know, do you see that people kind of, you know, they get that, they get this this euphoria from that um, more so than in other places? I mean, we don't want to, you know. Right. It's, I, I think that it's not a, it's not a specific thing. Uh, you know, as I, as I said, you know, I would never, I would never name any names. Uh, I, I had a, I had a meal recently that I just felt was, I won't say it was artless, but it was soulless. Yeah. And, and it was, for me, it was, that was kind of sacrilegious being in the business that I'm in. I just felt like it was, um, it, you know, how can you make uh, food uh, or wine for that matter without right. some of yourself in it, without love? Do you and, think it's maybe the stress of the industry? I mean, I, I, well, you know, a, a good friend of mine, uh, Brian Stubbs, who Brian, are you listening? Uh, <laughs> likes to say that uh, that there are businesses and there are restaurants, uh, right. and um, <laughs> and we should try to eat at restaurants. And, and what he means by that is simply, uh, you know, uh, hey, yeah. there there are people who who are making an effort to. We all do this for money. Let's let's not kid ourselves. We we have to have money to live, right? But. Are you personally invested? Do you yeah. care deeply about um, what the people's experience is who comes in? So, you know, the the longer answer to your question, Mark, is I don't think that the farm-to-table specifics, the uh, organic, pro, you know, I mean, I, I do that stuff because it is part of uh, my effort to create a coherent value system uh, around being in the business that I'm in. Right. 
we spend a lot of money on ingredients every year. And, uh, you know, I, I buy organic cat food for my cat. Does my cat need organic food? No, <laughs> but I want to support people who are doing organic farming. And yeah. so same deal with the restaurant. Uh, we, we spend hundreds of thousands of dollars every year on ingredients I want as much of that pie as possible to go to supporting yeah. people who are doing sustainable agriculture, who care about the planet, and who are uh, raising food that is good for um, uh, not only the planet, but good for you when you eat it. And so does that make people have a better experience if they come to my restaurant? I think what they walk away with is simply, yeah, I had a good feeling when I was there. Right. Or no, I didn't have a good feeling when I was there. It the 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 strains of you know was this uh, not all of us are wine professionals right. uh, a lot of people just you know i mean you, you you have a glass of wine and it's like well who who was i talking to did i feel good when that was when i was having that right. glass of wine was it a flower day or a fruit day or <laughs> you know i mean well that's one of the things that that really brought me into the world of wine and and that was that um meal times for me were was just a almost a task and you know you need to get this done you need to put put food in your body and when i went to spain for the first time and wine was the catalyst to allow you to sit around the table for 3 hours and uh and truly enjoy the company of other of of your friends and family um, and you were hopefully either making friends uh, if you didn't know folks over a good bottle of wine and and delicious food and that that to me was magical and right. and we should um, you know we should our, allow ourselves that that time to allow conversation to develop and allow the wine to change in our glass and uh, and, and that's magical and, and we can't put any sort of descriptions on on that feeling well I think that um you know, the, the slow food movement has gotten a lot of press in recent years. And I think that was sort of the basic idea behind that was, right. uh, was the sort of food equivalent right. of what you're talking about, which sure. is let's not eat too fast. Right. Let's not, uh, rush the cooking process. Let's not commodify, uh, meals, uh, in the same way that we, you know, would, uh, you know, the latest, uh, handheld device that we want to access social media on. Right. It's not the same thing. And of course, uh, then as that grows and as that movement grows, there might be some, some folks, uh, some establishments or wineries or restaurants that latch on, not necessarily due to the original philosophy, but due to just the marketing effort. And I guess that is where some of this, um, you know, should I appreciate it solely for that, the fact that it's a slow wine, uh, restaurant or for that it's a, um, a, a, an organic, uh, produce, uh, should I, um, judge it on other merits, you know, cause that, that's the, that's the, big I, piece. you know, I mean, this goes back to our earlier part of this conversation about transmutation right. transmutation is what happens in your body when you eat food and you digest it, you can take the finest ingredients in the entire world. And if you, uh, eat them in a hurry and you're under stress and you are worried about how you are going to get your mortgage paid tomorrow. Um, it's probably not going to be super healthy for you. You may as well be fasting, you know? Yeah. 
Um, I'd like to, can I read the Terry Thies sure. uh, manifesto? Yeah, I, mean, uh, I know my wife is going to laugh at me because, you know, I like to wax a little bit poetic, but I think that this is amazing as Terry Thies is the, um, is uh, in charge of an import portfolio, but he, he writes a, a lot about what, um, kind of the stuff that we're talking about. Um, and he has very, very firm opinions about wine and, uh, the, the, the place it should be and the effect that it should have on us. And he says, um, and the, the manifesto is such beautiful. Beauty is more important than impact. Harmony is more important than intensity. The whole of any wine must always be more than the sum of its parts. Distinctiveness is more important than conventional prettiness. Soul is more important than anything, and soul is expressed as a trinity of family, soil, and artisanality. Lots of wines, many of them good wines, let you taste the noise, but only the best let you taste the silence. I think you should slow down and read this one at a time. Uh, I really do because I think there's something worth saying about each of those. I mean, yes, let's, okay. have, let's so, start yeah, with the first one, yeah, for instance. Beauty is more important than impact. So what do you yeah. think about what, what, is, what does beauty mean? What does impact mean? To me, I hear impact and I think uh, power, long right. finish, you know, right? big alcohol, you know, and that might be, and that might be some people's cup of tea. But for him, for him, you know, and 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 for subtlety, it's yeah. Yeah, I think beauty. I think uh, balance. I think, uh, and you know, balance goes to this whole idea that we've been talking about this whole hour, which is, what's the right amount of intervention? What's yeah. the the what is the intervention that allows the the that grape cluster to be just as important as. I am as the winemaker. Is this about promoting me and how how great a chef I am, or is this you know do I have the humility to say actually this is about the fact that we're buying really amazing arugula from Boggy Creek Farm and Carolyn Sales is like she's a genius because I don't know how she grows it all summer and it's so <laughs> it has so much flavor. It's got the crisp texture. You know I mean what's the second one? Harmony is more important than intensity. Well, I mean, so, I, it's kind of a, yeah, another right. way of saying the same thing, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't, you know. I think so. Yeah. The whole of any wine must always be more than the sum of its parts. So th- I, I said this the last time I was on your show, yeah. which is this <laughs> that I, I'm the world's worst taster. I right. cannot get a, there are plenty of people who can pick out a good bottle of wine from a sip that they spit out. I can't do it. I need to sit almost with the entire bottle of wine with another person. I need a, a, a real conversation right i need to see what the shift is as as my body chemistry changes from in you know from swallowing and digesting as the wine opens up with oxygen and you know is that shift harmonious is that transformation uh does it is it additive you know it there, there, there are plenty of wines I've had where you open the bottle and I thought, man, that was a great glass. I can't wait to have a second one. And you get partway through the second one and you thought, eh, yeah, you know, not quite. It, it, it ceases to intrigue you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, distinctiveness is more important than conventional prettiness. So there you, you go. Know, There's that, our surprise, that surprise, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It, um, you know, having uh, uh, the strength of conviction uh, about picking a lane, you know, I mean, as my, my sportscaster that I like, Jim Rome, used to always say, have a take, don't suck. I mean, you know, get get 
where you make a decision about what you want right. to be and be willing to live with that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, soul is more important than anything. And soul is expressed as a Trinity of family, soil, and artisanality. So I have nothing to add to yeah, that. That's perfect. Yeah, exactly. I mean, soulfulness is uh, something that I, I can't tell you whether a bottle of wine or whether a, a, a meal at a restaurant, um, you know, uh, why it has it or doesn't have it. I can, I can make some guesses, but right. you know, everyone, eight, eight, each and every one of us knows if we pay attention at all, whether yeah. was this thing made with love? Yeah, yeah. And then lots of wines, many of them good wines, let you taste the noise, but only the best let you taste the silence. Again, what what I take from that is it's about uh, uh, humbleness, about yeah. restraint, right. uh, about balance. You know, do we want to hit you upside the head with a baseball bat? Right. Or are we willing to take the risk that... Um, you know, that if we allow the thing to express the essence of itself and do our best to, um, you know, to, to raise that up, um, is that going to be a thing that, that, you know, that people will appreciate? Right. And, I, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think uh, some people will and, you know, some people maybe they, you know, they choose to like something else. And I, I don't want to say one's better than the other. For me, my decision was made a long time ago on this. I, I want to try to cultivate the curiosity and the openness that's necessary to um, to avail myself of surprise right. and to, to try different things, to have different kinds of experiences. Right. Yeah. We're going to take a very short break to hear from an underwriter, and then uh, we'll be back with some final comments. So stick with us. Support comes from Matt L. Rancho, home of the original Bob Armstrong dip and proudly serving non-GMO corn tortillas and chips, handmade in Matt's in-house tortilla factory on South Lamar and MattLRancho.com. Always good since 1952. Okay, we've got only a few more minutes left. My name is Mark Grayshep. It's another bottle down on Co-op Radio, and I'm with Murph Wilcott from Texas French Bread. Um, Murph, you know, I just want to end on this. You know, um, us in this in this quest to kind of really search out unique wines and unique ex- flavors and experiences, and and with you with unique food experiences. You know, is it there's a debate there as to like is this just you know self-aggrandizing and you know is, right. is 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 it is it more than just eating or drinking? I think that's purely a matter of right. you know, sort of personal choice and interest. I, you know, for me. Um, I feel like, uh, there is, you know, there's a, there's a little spirit, you know, there's a little God spark or whatever you want to call it. That is, um, you know, that's in the grapes. Um, it's in the flower. It's, it's in the earth. Uh, that is, you know, it's, that's our mother who produced us, if you will, um, not to get too philosophical, but, I just happen to value these things. I really enjoy a nice glass of wine. Yeah. I really enjoy a nice meal. And I, for me, I don't feel like uh, sort of cultivating a little bit uh, deeper um, approach 
uh, is destructive of uh, the value yeah. around that. Yeah. Well, for for me, I, I think that it's you know you can live your life working and and eating. Um, you know, without thinking and without looking at art, uh, without, um, you know, I think feeling this inspiration, but, you know, I guess the same debate is, is what is the role of art? I mean, art, art's right. there to, to inspire us and intrigue us. And yeah, what's the role of education? What, you know, why, why do we, right. who cares about surfing? Yeah. Why should we surf? Yeah. I mean, I mean, what is it like to be human? I mean, when, when I, sit in front of a glass of wine. I mean, I'm looking for, you know, um, this, this experience that I will never have again. And I've never had before. It, I've never had that same, uh, singular experience before, and I will never have it again. And that helps me block out the world. And it's a, a form of meditation and it's a form of me, um, you know, doing something to where, where is it's a unique human experience for me. Dude, you're looking for the perfect wave. <laughs> The next, the next show we do should be on the parallels between surfing and wine drinking. Right on. Well, I'll have to take a surfing uh, field trip then. I think. <laughs> All right, Murph Wilcott, we got to run. Um, thank you so much for being here. Uh, it was a pleasure. Hey, thanks very much, Mark. And um, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, again, my name is Mark Rayshep. It's Co-op Radio, and uh, we got to hand it over to Tracy Schultz and Remix. And so, have a wonderful week and drink plenty of wonderful wine and enjoy it responsibly. And 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 most of all, uh, you know, love on somebody. Need an easy and fast way to get rid of an old car, truck, or boat you no longer want hanging around?